Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. We're one win away from history for the Tampa Bay Rays. Hutton, this is something I'll never forget. I'll remember, didn't the Rays start, you know, some crazy amount of wins or whatever? And I mean, even 13-0, I'm not going to forget now. They uh, they trailed 3-1 today. And then they had a seven-run fifth inning and busted it wide open. So, what do you think? The the, the stream, they were, uh, I saw a tweet, they were boasting, uh, and they should, about the streaming numbers being up. Yeah. Like 125% year to year for watching their games during this start. But man, I mean, a day game on Thursday to set that, to tie the record, hopefully with the opportunity to, you know, to pull off number 14, it would, you know, get a, a well-attended game, which well, is the, normally not the case. The there. underlying issue here is um, Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay Rays are the second most likely team to relocate in yeah. Major League Baseball behind the A's. That all, and that's all been the looks case but while, like it's but going it's to go to yeah. Vegas. Yeah. The A's will eventually, probably in the short term, move to Vegas. But the Rays for years, I mean, attendance issues, the stadium they play in is a dump. Um, and it's a great organization. They do it with not a huge – they don't go on spending sprees. No. They develop – They what they do it's with their the pitching payroll. staff, it's like they have unlocked some cheat code to make their guys delivery and approach the game different and crafty. It's incredible. Their talent evaluation, the way they draft, a really good organization. And if that city can't pull it together in that ownership group, some other city, maybe Nashville, where we are right now, is going to get one heck of an organization and one heck of a team if that doesn't change. Meanwhile, the Red Sox, they've lost 13 straight games at Tropicana Field. Also tough tough to do. Very tough. (laughs) It's the environment. And, I mean, it, I, and it's not—it's not like most people are saying, you know, <laughs> you, you better—you better be ready for war when you head to the trop, no. right? That place, but the environment in the trop is just through the roof. No, no one's saying that. So tough for the Red Sox. They have, the, by the way, the, the Rays have—they tri- already have triple-digit hits this season. Second place, the Dodgers with seventy-nine hits on the year, and the Rays. That's remarkable. I mean. What if, I wonder, Davey, see if you can the is there a list of the average game time for every franchise? Well, I know that pace of play is up thirty minutes, but as much as they get on base and score runs, they have to be the longest game. Yeah, I'd, every I'd like day. to know the top and the bottom. I want to know the longest game time they, team yeah. and the shortest team. They've got to lead that. Like you know, when you go when you uh, roll up to a Kansas City Royals game, you better be prepared for a two hour and ten minute game. Whatever the team is that you know they're going really quick <laughs> because their offense and maybe their pitching's pretty good too. Chad, the, uh, there's a Syracuse booster, uh, a mega one, who's pulling money away from the university because he's not getting along with the chancellor. He's citing that as the reason. Uh, but in terms of what we see from like John Ruiz at Miami. That's what he could mean for Syracuse. And he's saying, hey, I'm not getting along with the chancellor. I'm taking my money. Uh, I'll find someone, something else to do with it instead of help build back what Syracuse has the chance to do 
in the NIL space. Yeah, Adam Weitzman, 54-year-old. He owns a scrap metal processing, processing company in upstate New York. He's worth over a billion dollars. He brings celebrities to the games. He's been seen with Tom Brady, Pete Davidson, Giannis at games. I'm looking at him with Carmelo Anthony and Odell Beckham Jr. and Jalen Hurts all visiting with him front row at mm-hmm. Syracuse games. And so the chancellor doesn't like that? My question is, Kent Siverud is the, is the chancellor. I, I probably butchered the pronunciation. That don't care. This dude needs to get with it. I mean, how on earth, if you're the chancellor and you're a supporter of Syracuse and you give them money, are you not reaching out to your chancellor and saying, dude, swallow your pride. This guy's going to help Syracuse be relevant and win. I don't care what your issue is with him or him having celebrities at games. Make good. Make amends with this dude. Because clearly, someone has been insulted, and it sounds like Weitzman has been insulted by this guy in some way and has basically caught wind that he's not welcome, and he's saying that, you know, hey, I'll gladly not spend my money elsewhere if I'm not welcome. I didn't go to the school, but I'm a huge supporter, and I'm a fan of the school, and I give them money. So if that's the case, if you're the chancellor – the impetus is on this chancellor to make good with the money. And he already had $2 million in NIL that he was helping Again, with. Again, make good with the money. It's crazy. I am fully – I don't even know the entire backstory, and I fully blame the chancellor. If all of this money is walking out the door at Syracuse. Yeah, the only report, and it, it's through Weitzman, just from what I understand, hearing it from people at the university, he did not like the high-profile nature of the celebrities coming to games. Why? And the, and the way I was discussing NIL with the media. But again, like, well, the chancellor's going to look real dumb when the new, whatever the reformation is with the NCAA in terms of NIL yep. rules, yep. and it's going to be even more lax, and people are going to be able to talk more and more about it. When that happens, the chancellor's going to feel pretty dumb that he let the money walk out the door. I, I would think so. And then also, like, you got Bayheim and everything else leaving too. It'll be interesting to see what happens with see, the See, when I first saw this headline, I immediately thought, this guy's pissed off the yeah, chancellor for how Bayheim was handled. Yeah. I didn't think it was because he doesn't like how high-profile the booster is. Well, I wonder, Which is though, ridiculous. But had this happened with Bayheim, is he the middleman? Does he smooth things over to where well, this doesn't happen? Was he the guy, yeah. When Bayheim was there, was he the guy that could Go make sure the, the chancellor. chancellor shut up yeah. about him? And now that he's gone, the protection is gone. Between the two, the buffer. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's bad. Because Syracuse, Chad, you mentioned them last fall or summer. You wrote a column about the NIL space and who could really yeah, char- who, who move could rise. forward. Syracuse is on that list. Yeah, Syracuse could be, I mean, it's the, it's the biggest, you know, it could be the State University of New York, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you look at all of it in the city, throughout the state, this could be the representative for the state of New York on the national scene, and a northeast power. We've seen it in basketball yeah. throughout the years. Could be the case in football, too. So you can't run the money off. And the new coach, I'm blanking on his name right now, the, the assistant who took over for Bayheim. one of your first steps as the new head coach, get the chancellor and this dude into a restaurant for dinner and drinks or something and smooth this over so Weitzman is back in the fold helping you secure top talent at Syracuse. For basketball, at the very least. And if you ever want to be relevant in football, he's going to have to help with football also. 
But basketball is one that they should have money being pumped into that program. They've shown they can win national a national championship yes. at Syracuse. Yes. So with top talent, one what, and done. What is the problem here? I mean, if I'm the head coach, I'm thinking, Chancellor, we, we gotta we gotta bury the ego here a little bit and get our guy back on our team. This guy just wants us to win. Let's make sure he can help us do that. Saquon Barkley's helping the the Giants win. He's just not going to. He doesn't want to sign the franchise tag to play for the the franchise money for running backs which is roughly $10 million. And he wants a contract extension. They gave that extension to Daniel Jones, slapped the tag on Saquon, and he's, they're trying to ride it out another year. And I think this, what, what the Giants are doing is why we're going to see the, the top-level running backs, even though the value of the running back has diminished. Right, because you you can find guys for the new offense, the new era of offense, to fit as a piece instead of the what what did uh, Merrill Hodge call them factor backs yeah. back in the day? Yep. the volume carries. Well, not Merrill every, Hodge. Not, not everybody gets the carries that that uh, that Derrick Henry would receive. Uh, Saquon's one of them, but I think the. The importance of the first round, where maybe we see two running backs in the first round potentially in two weeks. You get the fifth-year option, and then you have control of that first-round pick for seven years if you choose, because you can tag the player twice. And so that's what we're seeing with the Giants. And you know, if you trade them, fine. And if not, you're going to keep them. You're going to, and that's a lot of wear and tear for seven years. And then you move on and you rinse and repeat. In theory. Stellar Merrill Hodge reference, by the way. The factor back. Yeah. <laughs> was not expecting Merrill Hodge to be referenced in today's show, but I'm, I'm thrilled that he was. Somewhere he's tying I think, a necktie right I now. I think you're crazy to give a long-term deal to a running back, even if they're as good as Saquon Barkley. I, I know this is a tough pill to swallow if you're as great of a running back as Barkley, but take the huge chunk of money on the franchise tag as much as you can and live with it. I, I get the desire to get that guaranteed money that you're going to get in a long-term contract locked up if you're going to go out and play a position where you're risking injury yep. every time out this way. But if I'm running an organization, I'm in a front office, I'm just not – there's not a single running back to me that's worth it. I mean, Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley, two of the top ones. But, I mean, I could argue that Derrick Henry being locked up long-term isn't what's the best thing for the Titans or any organization. So – I love these running backs. This is nothing against them. It is just simply a position that I'm not tying up long-term guaranteed money with huge salary cap hits with. I think it's proven time and time again, you do not need to do that to win a Super Bowl. You just don't. And he's saying he's not going to sign the the tag. We'll ask Armando about that uh, moving forward. Armando's coming up in about seven minutes or so. Chad, uh, great uh, press conference yesterday with Jeffrey Simmons. He gets the contract extension that he wanted. He was going into year number five. And, uh, yeah, going into year number five, following a season where he could have said, hey, I demand an extension now based on the importance and value to the Titans' defensive front. I think he's the best player on their roster. And he ends up signing what is now a contract that makes him the second-highest-paid defensive player lineman at his position to only Aaron Donald. Here is Jeffrey Simmons yesterday 
at the press conference announcing the contract extension. I think, man, just from house to house, apartment to apartment, sharing the bed with my brother. Man, we good. We, you know, it's just not, you know, my kids' kids, you know, this generation wealth, as we call it, like, that's why I do it for, man. Every day I wake up, just think about them hard times where I know my mom didn't feel like it. And for some time, I could be like, I don't, I'm hurting. But think about my mom having raised five kids on her own. And for me to say, I don't want to do this, you know, that's my motivation, my family. So, sorry about that, but man, this, this is, I'm grateful. Excited. I never saw myself wearing uh, anything but the two-tone blue other than, a, you know, holding up a Super Bowl ring and a gold jacket. Now Jeffrey Simmons yesterday as he gets the big mega contracts uh, where the Titans are investing on the defensive front. But, Chad, the, the off-the-field issues that took place from the time he was in high school in that, uh, I believe, right before he took the field for Mississippi State where this was 2016 – where he's on video repeatedly punching a female in the face and how he rehabilitated and ended up being one of the best players at his position in the SEC. Now he's a team captain. And whenever the Titans made the decision on whether or not they were going to draft him, Titans owner Amy Adams Strunk and him, they, they spoke. And she spoke at the press conference whenever he was drafted, vouching for him saying that he's not going to let me down. He sent her a text when the deal was finally complete, thanking her for taking a chance, trusting him, and she sent back, thanks for not letting me down. You promised me, and we're glad you're here. I, he, Jeff is a great guy, and knowing the details and the history of what he did versus how he handles it now, night and day. Night and day. And great teammate as well. He played through injuries. He's referencing the, the ankle issue where he could have gone to injured reserve, didn't. It was a bad team last year during a losing streak whenever he was faced with playing through all that pain. And I know in the press conference, he also said that last year, last season, right after the firing of John Robinson, Amy Adams Strunk, the team owner, came to him and said, we're, we're going to take care of you. Mm -hmm. You're, you're yep. going to be taken care of and that he believed her. And um, we see the result. Good, good for Jeffrey Simmons. Good for the Titans to lock up a foundational piece at an important position. And this is a, a true American success story. Yes. I mean, I, I love hearing the tale of a guy who had nothing growing up, who had to bounce from home to home, apartment to apartment, shared a bed with his brother, and becomes a guy now who's got his grandkids are rich all of a sudden. This is, this is what's cool about our country and the possibilities within it. And Jeffrey Simmons is realizing that American dream because of his talent and work. He was blessed with natural ability with his body and his athleticism, and he's worked hard at it. 
and now he's got generational wealth. That, that to me, is the biggest takeaway from all this. Very cool to see that, and very cool to see his level of appreciation and respect and emotion for the fact that he has gone from someone who was dirt poor Mm -hmm. to someone who is filthy rich, and now his kids will have a better life, and their kids will have a better life. Really cool to see. Yep, and he lives it every day. I mean, it's, uh, it's a great success story. Coming up, Armando Salguero will join us. We'll continue with the NFL discussion. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Also, the Commanders have, a, have new ownership. There's a, a lot to dive into. Armando Salguero, our NFL reporter at Outkick, joins us next on Hotline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hot Mike rolls on from 6th and Peabody. That's the home of Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. We're home. Our home, too. Putting with Withrow here. And Armando Salguero joins us. Time to talk NFL headlines. NFL draft two weeks away. He's got the league covered at Outkick.com. Armando, the commanders have new ownership with Josh Harris and his group. Which owner or maybe just member of the league is celebrating most and what do you think the uh what do you think the toast will be like later whenever they have the ownership meeting again and everyone says a a kind well I shouldn't say kind word a word about Dan Snyder well you know gentlemen this is kind of a two-edged sword okay because on the one hand the Washington commanders are going to be sold for six billion dollars (laughs) plus yeah. And, um, you know, that's good news for everybody involved in the business, because as the prices go up, that means everybody's prices are going up. Um, so that's number one. Number two, obviously, if the Washington commanders under new ownership become an, or an organization that is way less likely to embarrass the NFL and its ownership, that's good news for them. And if the Washington Commanders under new ownership becomes an organization that uh, clearly is one of the the better organizations in the NFL. That's good news for everyone. But under Dan Snyder, the Washington Commanders have been kind of easy pickings for a while. They haven't drafted great. They haven't played great. They haven't been great on the field or off. And so suddenly the easy mark that they have kind of sort of been mediocre at best over the 24 years where Dan Snyder was the owner, that could go away. And all of a sudden the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys are looking around and the New York Giants are looking around and going, hey, hey, uh, we kind of like these one easy one or two victories a year against 
the don't call me Redskins anymore. Uh, so again, good management is good for the NFL until the game starts. I think it's hard for maybe even you know people under 30 years old to understand the powers of the don't call me Redskins, as you called them, because we still think of them as the old Washington Redskins in their heyday. And this was, I mean, it's crazy when you hear this in value. It's a top five or six NFL franchise when you see the the figure of $6 billion, Armando, um, that even Daniel Snyder couldn't run this thing completely into the ground and that it's still a very valuable commodity, maybe shocks people that are of a certain age when they don't understand the history of this organization. Well, the old Washington Redskins were a legacy NFL franchise. Uh, they were the team that, you know, oftentimes people called it, called Dallas America's team. Well, <laughs> this is the team that was in the nation's capital and oftentimes spanked America's team for everybody. Um, they won three Super Bowls under Joe Gibbs, who was pretty good at what he did. He did it with three different quarterbacks. Uh, they were always in the Super Bowl or vying for it. They and the San Francisco 49ers for a long time in the 80s were a team to be reckoned with. Um, and, and, and look, um, it, it doesn't mean that they were always great but they were always in the conversation and always relevant and always on national television. Uh, I remember watching them on Thanksgiving against the Dallas Cowboys once upon a time when Clint Longley came on mm -hmm. and, and beat them at the last minute with a bomb to Drew Pearson. And it was at that moment, at that time, the highest rated NFL broadcast in the regular season and so, you know, you, you have that kind of legacy. Dan Snyder has done amazing things to, to, to embarrass that legacy. True story. One time when I was covering the Miami Dolphins, they played the old Redskins. And um, at, at their new park, and we went there. And this was, I guess, early 2000s. And they didn't have wireless internet yet, but they had the cords. Uh, most teams had wireless internet already. They only had the cords and any writer who didn't bring his own cable, they would gladly sell you one <laughs> so that you could cover the game for $75. Oh, my gosh. Four easy payments, I'm sure. Most teams were giving away their Wi-Fi <laughs> as, as they do now because it's Wi-Fi, for God's sakes. But the Washington Redskins of 2004 and 5 would sell you the, the – you know, the cable for $75 because they didn't have Wi-Fi. And Armando, uh, and we'll, we'll segue to uh, one really terrible radio booth to a great one in a moment in Baltimore. But the radio booth at the stadium is in the top corner of the end zone. So you can't, like, it, in most of, 
you can't you, you can barely see what's happening you know at the 50 coming your way and then on the other end you have no idea if the team scored or not either it, it, you, you don't know if the guy was tackled for a three-yard gain or a one-yard loss based on the the vantage point of the play-by-play announcer yeah so the thinking now is that <laughs> is that washington you know obviously the franchise needs a new stadium right um, because that place is a dump. It is, it is terrible. And so, um, new ownership that hasn't alienated government and, or, uh, investors, both private and public, uh, would supposedly have a better chance of getting that done than what Daniel Snyder did. Baltimore, by the way, a fantastic stadium. Lamar Jackson, here's the good news, bad news. We'll start this the same way we did with Snyder. Good news is Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, is great friends with Lamar Jackson, and it sounds like Lamar was on board whenever Odell signed there for his $15 million plus. Bad news is Odell Beckham Jr. is his number one wide receiver right now. They've got work to do to enhance the wide receiver weapons for Lamar Jackson if and when he comes back. More bad news, not an awesome wide receiver draft. Yeah, that's right. More bad news, they don't have a ton of cap space to find somebody else who's not available anyway. <laughs> and so um, DeAndre Hopkins to Baltimore is not happening, folks. Uh, by the way, this is where in the movies, the next scene is DeAndre Hopkins in Baltimore. and. Armando going, oh! <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, if it's speaking of Hopkins, he's now rumored to be in with the Jets. The Jets are interested. I mean, what are the the, the all-star, the, when they lost out on Odell Beckham Jr., they've now turned their attention to DeAndre Hopkins? The Jets don't need DeAndre no. Hopkins. They don't really need Odell Beckham Jr. <laughs> Garrett Wilson is, is a budding superstar Alan Lazard is underrated. He knows, he knows, you know, Aaron Rodgers well. They're gonna sign, uh, you know, Randall Cobb. It's gonna be fine. The Jets are gonna have a fine receiver core. They just need to get around to the idea of making that trade for that, you know, Aaron Rodgers. Do, do you buy that? Uh, I know there's reports out now that you know it's they're not budging, right? And neither side is budging, and it, it's looking. It, do you buy any of this up until one of them really has to budge on the night of the first round or the day of the second round when that's going to happen? Right. So let me let me take you guys behind the scene of how the sausage is made. Um, I do love sausage, I've, so this will be good. Yes, I've been part of a lot of sausage making. <laughs> also, unfortunately, a lot of unsausage, a, a part of a lot of sausage eating. But. Uh, <laughs> this is this is a fact. So two teams are negotiating. The team in City A picks out a beat writer or a national writer and says, hey, um, let us whisper to you in confidence, <laughs> anonymously, that we're not budging from what is going on. In City B, similar team in city B picks out a beat writer or national guy and says, Hey, 
let us whisper to you that anonymously, don't mention our names, we're not budging either. And so what you have is reports of we're not budging because both teams want to have a narrative and a stance, both privately between each other and publicly with their fan base. And so that the other team knows we really mean it. What this all means is that when there's a deadline and both teams look at the facts and look at reality and, and decide this is, uh, you know, just the line in the sand that we can't cross, they'll get it done. And Aaron Rodgers will play for the New York Jets and it'll be done. And the Jets will give up a second round pick this year and more next year on a conditional basis. I don't know if that's a second rounder or a third rounder. Uh, we'll see. I know that the Jets aren't wanting to give up a first rounder at any point in this entire conversation, but they might if Aaron Rodgers decides, hey, I'm not only going to play this year and next year, but the year after that too. So we'll see. Armando Salguero with us. Joe Mixon, uh, low production recently. He's got a high cap number coming up. And Samaji Pirine just signed with the Denver Broncos. I bring him up because I wonder if we're going to see Joe Mixon back in Cincinnati because a, an incident, a road rage incident where he was originally charged with what, menacing, which is a misdemeanor, um, he pointed a, allegedly pointed a gun at a woman in a road raid in, incident uh, back in January. They Cincinnati police, they initially dropped the charges. Now they're back. And we certainly know the history of Joe Mixon at Oklahoma. All that being said, what do you think the Bengals do with the position? Well, from a salary cap standpoint, it makes sense for them to move on because mm -hmm. what you have is a player who's production despite the fact that he's playing with arguably you know a top three quarterback in the NFL and the best wide receiver core in the NFL was diminished last year he was under four yards a carry uh, on average and that doesn't make any sense because typically defenses back off uh, at the line of scrimmage in the tackle box when they have worries about the team passing and that means that the running back has to feed. And Joe Mixon didn't feed. He only ate 800 yards, which is bad in the NFL. Um, again, from a salary cap standpoint, they can save $10 million if they cut him. They can save $20 million over the next two years if they cut him. And they do have bills coming due. They do have to sign Joe Burrow to an extension. Jamar Chase is coming down the turnpike as well. He's going to need an extension. They haven't figured out uh, the T. Higgins thing. So there are high-priced items happening that would seem to make a running back uh, kind of a luxury. The problem is they don't have anybody to replace them right now. So we're going to have to see what they do in the draft. If they get somebody of, of stature in the draft, if they draft a running back early, 
it doesn't bode well for Joe Mixon. If also this aggravated menacing charge turns into something serious, as in some sort of conviction, or even a pretrial negotiation diversionary program where he agrees to do stuff and pay fines, that puts him in the crosshairs of the NFL personal conduct policy. And once again, possibly having to miss games, which once again makes them less valuable to the Cincinnati Bengals. Well, I, th- I think initially I thought, oh, if they part ways with him, they can potentially be a landing spot for Ezekiel Elliott. But in a column you wrote for OutKick, the Bengals are lukewarm on that idea for exactly what you're talking about for the cap space, right? It's much more affordable just to grab a guy in the draft. Yeah, I think I, and the reason for that is, I think I said that Joe Mixon averaged 3.9 yards a carry last year. Ezekiel Elliott averaged 3.8 yards a carry last year. And he also wants to be paid. And so, yeah, I'm lukewarm to uh, regressing for the same amount of money. And I'm sure the Bengals would be too. Um, Obviously, it's more complicated than that. And there are different reasons for it. But look, let's, let's all agree right here. Let's have a hot mic confab okay. and all agree you draft the running back you use him up yes and then out he goes when his rookie contract ends unless his name is jim brown or barry sanders otherwise he can be replaced notice he didn't say saquon barkley as a part of that with what's going on in new york um small sample size but Atlanta seems sure about Desmond Ritter. How sure? Stupid sure. <laughs> it's like, I mean, come on. I know. I mean, they know something we I, don't, Armando. They've seen something we haven't. Uh, I, I, I guess. So they watched him back up Mariota the majority of the year. Right, exactly. And he started four games, they won two, they lost two, they were never really relevant with him or without him really last year. The problem is this, they have seen something that they really think is good. And so they've been very um, veiled about their interest in drafting a quarterback. I know they had Will Levis in today for a pre-draft visit, but you know, that I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's the direction they're going to go. I do know this. They've done significant work in improving their defense and really their overall team. They've, they've gotten better, the Atlanta Falcons, this offseason. The problem with that is they've gotten better, but we don't know if the quarterback spot is any better. And we do know this. A team that gets better but has – a middling to bad quarterback, Tennessee Titans. Yep. They have struggles. They have a hard time finding the new guy because they're never bad enough to draft high enough to get a star. And they're never terrible enough. Um, they're never good enough to actually be relevant and win a championship. They get caught in that middle ground That is the worst thing that you can be in the NFL. You either want to be really good or really terrible because really good 
you're really good and really terrible, you have a chance to get really good. In the middle, you're just middling. It is amazing, though. Like I'm looking at their death chart. Some players just find a way to become a storyline in October and November in the league. Taylor Heineke is that dude. He's their backup quarterback right now. It is rinse and repeat from Washington all over again in Atlanta with Desmond Ritter as their starter. Absolutely. And what does it tell you? Eventually, teams figure it out that, no, we can't continue to do this cycle, this rinse and repeat thing. It's bad overall. But then somebody else does the same thing. And back to Tennessee, the Miami Dolphins, after seven years, decided, no, we can't do this. We can't keep waiting on Ryan Tannehill. So what happens now? What year is this for Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee? Is it year five? I think it's six now. I think he's going into six, I believe, because they've extended he's him once. and repeat. Never, never terrible. Ryan Tannehill is a solid NFL quarterback, but never great. Yep. And, and, and specifically, never great when it counts the most, which is when the playoffs begin. Going into five, by the way. Going into year five. Okay. I was off by year, the 2018. And then uh, 2019 happened, and they gave him the big money. Hey, uh, Chad, maybe they'll just have Cordero Patterson play quarterback. He does everything else. You just go back to the uh, single wing. You know, that's always an yeah. option if you're Atlanta. Yeah. I'm sure, uh, you know, targets like Drake London and, and uh, Kyle Pitts will be thrilled uh, if they pass up on one of these uh, young QBs in the draft. The only way it really works out is if Arthur Smith is a genius and, and everybody else is a dumb head. Yeah. And Desmond Ritter is, you know, a star in the making. And he did actually see something that no one else saw. Yeah. And he, he's a very good offensive mind. But see, that, that and final 30 seconds, unfortunately. But that's why Lamar Jackson made so much sense to me in Atlanta. I think it just fits perfectly with that offense because it's run-oriented anyway. They, they, right now, Armando, they have two fullbacks on their roster, if that tells you anything. Uh, the, the fit was perfect. Uh, the money wasn't perfect, of course, but apparently Desmond Ritter is. So we'll see what happens in, in the ATO. Armando, thank you, man. My pleasure, gentlemen. Thanks, Armando. NFL draft discussion next week with Armando, two weeks away. Yeah, gear up. Will Levis making the rounds, man. In Nashville earlier this week, was with what? Uh, Indy. Good for Will Levis. Green Bay. Then now in Atlanta today. Coming up, <laughs> an all-you-can-eat buffet. I have seen Chad. How many hot dogs did you eat in one sitting? Well, we'll save that. We'll try to do the calculation. Uh, I've seen Chad devour a, a platter. I was going to say a plate platter of hot dogs but there's an nfl prospect who puts us all to shame that's next on hotline nick saldaveri from Old Dominion, all-you-can-eat buffet. Crushed it. Impressive work. So, he and some of the top offensive linemen in the draft 
Uh, Peter Skronsky from Northwestern. You've got Jalen Duncan from Maryland and others. They went and hit up a buffet, Chad. The goal was simple. See how many pounds you could gain in one sitting. And they weighed in before and after. And he gained, he gained 10 pounds. Uh, nine and a nine half and pounds. Nine and a half to be exact. In one sitting. He was weighed in at 317.4 pounds and then weighed out at 326.9. This is the equivalent nine. of lapping the competition when you are nearly three pounds above second place in weight gain. Peter Skaronsky of Northwestern gained 6.7 pounds. Now, look at Avila Jaylen from TCU. Duncan, six. <laughs> and then Avila lost weight the next day. Weighed himself the next day, and he lost weight. He must have had an obstructed bowel of some sort that well, was removed. He's also with this eating, with this feast. He's also and then he lost weight because the biggest of that. dude to begin with at three hundred and thirty nine pounds. Yeah, incredible, the incredible work by these guys. Chad, I've seen you uh, down hot dogs. Yeah, that we, I was challenged in a hot dog eating contest, and over the course of a show, I think I ate twenty seven. Uh, that's I, it's a over the course of it one was show. Twenty five. I, I can destroy a buffet of any kind. Quick story. So around, I think I'm 14 years old. My buddy Jake Mingledorf, my, my best oh, yeah. friend, uh, be- best man in my wedding. So I'm hanging out with him, and I'd go on an annual trip to Florida with his family. And part of this trip was we'd go to an all-you-can-eat buffet. Well, my friend Jake is the pickiest eater on the planet, and we'll eat about four different foods, and that's it. His younger sister was the same way. So his mom and dad take us, you know, teenage kids, to the, to the all-you-can-eat buffet, and I look over at one point during the meal after I go back to the buffet for a fourth time and another plate, and I could almost see a tear in my buddy's <laughs> father's eye, and he just started shaking his head and said, all these years I've been taking my family to the buffet, and all these years I've been on the losing end of it, and finally I take Chad here and we clean out the house. I feel like I got my money's worth and then some because of this young man right here and all the food I've seen him eat tonight. And I, I almost teared up as well. It was an emotional time because I realized I did, in fact, take the house that night. And if you bring me to an all-you-can-eat buffet, they're losing. This is not a casino trip where you're probably going to lose. You're well, definitely losing if you charge me any amount me, of money at an all-you-can-eat buffet and I'm hungry. I will eat more than the money that I paid. Anytime I think of a buffet, I think of our, our buddy, Hosey. Oh, yeah. Who yeah, The buffet he would frequent would charge by the pound. And he, it was a breakfast buffet. And he went in Shoney's breakfast and would buffet. get plates to go. You could get to go from this buffet. To, to go. Plates of nothing but bacon. And the bacon <laughs> doesn't weigh much, so he got just boxes of boxes I mean, of under-the-weight-limit amounts of bacon. No, there, but it was all you could eat, though. So yeah. he just, like, anything they had, he just cleaned them out and paid, like, five bucks for it. Because yeah. they, they changed the rule soon after. Hosey still probably has I don't some know of that about bacon. you, but I'm hungry now. Yeah. I'm tired of Dan Snyder trolling us. Hopefully, Adam Schefter don't is incorrect. Don't tease me with bacon. Details next. <laughs>